Hello, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 2 of Voices, the podcast. I'm your host, Brian Ward, and today we are talking with Hannah from Recovery Dharma. Recovery Dharma is a Buddhist-based program of recovery that focuses on mindful presence and meditation as a program of recovery. Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. Hannah was very open, very raw, and uh, I really appreciated the insights that she had. So, I hope that you enjoy Voices, the podcast. As always, Voices, the podcast is brought to you by VPGR, Voices of Problem Gambling Recovery, Inc., a nonprofit whose goal it is to educate, advocate, and promote recovery. And before we get started, I do want to offer one uh, trigger warning. There is talk about self-harm kind of throughout the interview, so just be mindful of that as it moves forward. Of course, if that's something that you're not in the capacity to listen to, um, that's totally understandable as well. There is also one expletive that appears later in the interview, and while I thought about maybe censoring it or cutting it out, I I felt that it was, um, in the context, a, a pretty... Uh, potent statement. And so I decided to leave it in. Uh, I do believe that this is the first time that an expletive has appeared on the podcast. So, uh, but when we're talking about being nervous around uh, starting a new program, I think that that's very real. And I thought it was very honest of her to say that. So I decided to go ahead and leave it in. And here's Hannah. Hello, Hannah. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing okay. Thank you. Uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for taking time for this. Um, and just jumping right into it. Um, can you tell me a little bit of your story? Uh, we're here to talk, um, of course, about a program of recovery, but I'm kind of interested in what led you there. Well, um, what led me to finding Refuge Recovery, which later let's say, birthed uh, recovery dharma. Um, I was in therapy and I had experienced a reemergence of a behavioral addiction. Uh, Throughout my adolescence, I had struggled with self-harm quite a bit. And for some reason, it could have been due to the secondary trauma in my job I had at the time, or just maybe I had never addressed the the foundational issues that led to the self-harm. Maybe they just kind of went dormant for a while and came back up. For some reason with this relapse, I just couldn't stop it. Mm -hmm. Um, So then I was about to switch jobs and I was about to lose my insurance and my uh, I was about to not be able to go to therapy anymore. And I was kind of freaking out. I was like, nowhere in my awareness was any sort of support group for self-harm. I yeah. never heard of anything like that. Um, my therapist suggested during the two months when I was going to be uh, off of insurance, he suggested I go to actually adult children of alcoholics. Um, And I went to a couple of those meetings. It didn't feel exactly right for me, but just looking on the meeting schedule of a local meeting space, I found refuge recovery, which is something that 
uh, I was just ever so slightly aware of because my uh, my brother's a Buddhist and he's also in recovery and he had mentioned it a year or two before that. Um, I was going to join him at a meeting, but I got lost getting there. So I didn't end up joining him, but that's where the name recognition came from. Mm -hmm. So I just ended up finding this without knowing anyone really in the program. And I just uh, attended the meetings on my own and it really clicked with me. Um, throughout my adolescence, I had a lot of uh, therapy based in uh, dialectical behavioral therapy. And that has a lot of, uh, a lot of basis in Buddhism, a lot of mindfulness practices. And that's where I think it really clicked with me. Yeah. Um what you were talking about, about that anxiety of losing the support in, in your therapist, that, that seems very, very real um, in that as we are, are going through these changes and, and we have these supports in place, what happens when you pull the support away from a foundation, right? The hope is that the foundation is settled enough that it can survive without the support. And yet there's there's this tendency towards anxiety around it, especially when it's not that you're necessarily like graduating a program or a therapy, but rather outside external factors pull that away from you. And, and so then you're just hopeful that there's enough in place. Um, and so that idea of trying to find additional supports, maybe not the same kind of support, but um, a related support, I, I think it's something that's palpable for a lot of people as we start becoming more aware of mental health and and the importance of not just a physical well-being, but of an emotional and mental well-being too. Absolutely. Um, and I think one of the most important aspects of not just recovery dharma, formerly known as refuge recovery, but of any of any so-called sober support program is the relational aspect. Um, you know, there are lots of studies saying the most, there, there's no one type of therapy that's more effective than another type of therapy the biggest predictor of a positive outcome of therapy is the relationship, is the quality of the relationship between the therapist and the client. Um, and I've heard, I've heard studies about 12-step uh, groups, other sober support groups, that that's, the, that's kind of the biggest aspect that leads to a positive outcome is the community. Uh, so, one of the biggest aspects of finding refuge recovery uh, later, <laughs> recovery dharma. That's going to be a mouthful this entire time. <laughs> okay, so so let's let's go ahead and and just switch gears really quick and and talk about that, right? Um, and and I'm not expecting like full explanation, but but you've brought it up a couple times. So so what is the difference, or why is there a difference? Can you can you speak to that at all? Yeah, so two years ago, I believe that was mid-2019, um, and this had been building for a little bit, but that's when the split, I believe, officially happened was mid-2019. Um, what had happened, Noah Levine, uh, who had 
founded Refuge Recovery and had written the book, he had done some things with the nonprofit of Refuge Recovery that have been that have been for-profit endeavors, uh, okay. a for-profit uh, meditation retreat company, um, profits from his book sales, a for-profit treatment center. And so officially what happened was the board of directors sued Noah Levine and he sued them back. Mm-hmm. And the only conclusion they could come to uh, was to separate into two separate entities one is Refuge Recovery World Services, which still exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's still meetings uh, all over the place, but there's, I believe there's less meetings, uh, especially in my, in my area, in my community, there's only a couple of Refuge Recovery World Services meetings that still exist. And the majority have uh, switched over to Recovery Dharma. Um, The major difference there is that Recovery Dharma, um, so it was created by the board of directors and a group of people who had a new vision uh, for for creating something out of Refuge Recovery. These are not new ideas. Buddhism is 2,600 years old. Uh, A lot of it, you know, A lot of it came from 12 steps. You can see some similarities across the board where you're combining Buddhism and 12 steps and creating something new. Um, But recovery Dharma is truly peer led. There's no one person uh, spearheading it. There's no face of recovery Dharma. There's no, as we call it, Dharma liberties. it's, it's just truly peer-led. It's truly non-for-profit. The, uh, the book, you can download the PDF for free. You can uh, buy it for five bucks at a meeting or uh, online. Um, yeah, there's, there's, no, um, there's no one profiting off of this. And there are just some ways that in creating a new kind of meeting, some things got to be improved. Like there's some more trauma-informed aspects to it um, because meditation can be very triggering to a lot of people. And so uh, there's some more culturally competent areas to it, um, like just just little things here and there, like recognizing in the wise speech uh, part of the Eightfold Path that sometimes the wisest speech is, is not... Um, uh, being as you were culturally conditioned to to be quiet but actually speaking up and speaking up for what's true mm-hmm. like that was a, just little aspects here and there where, where we got to be more trauma-informed and more culturally competent mm-hmm. uh, so it is a new program it is different uh, it was very much a grassroots effort and I think you can feel that there's a lot more um fostering variety in the formats of meetings and what meditations you can bring in, what readings you can bring in, not so much strict adherence to this is how it's always been. This is how it always must be. Sure. Yeah. And, and I like that, that the, the idea of a peer run support means that it can evolve as the peers do right so it's it's not centralized it's rather kind of this living 
uh, document or this this living creed that that can evolve over time and it's a little less um, traditional or or adhering to traditional um, and and so I I like that that malleability of the community that that occupies it are the ones that kind of set the pace of what it is um, so thank you for talking about those differences you also mentioned the similarities between these principles and say DBT dialectical um, behavioral therapy which kind of falls under the overarching cognitive behavioral therapy right so DBT is kind of a specific version of CBT that does like you said focus more on like mindful presence um, kind of creating this this idea that you're not reliving a moment you're instead remembering it um, and being able to kind of find comfort in that during triggers during urges um, those reminiscences aren't necessarily the the reality and so you can kind of talk yourself down from the traumatic response or the trauma response that comes with that if if I'm understanding it correctly maybe you know more about it than I do yeah absolutely there's uh, depending on who you go to, there's uh, four or five modules to DBT. And one of the major ones is mindfulness. Mm -hmm. um, and the very basis of dialectical behavioral therapy, dialectics means acknowledging that two seemingly opposite things can be true at the same time. Mm -hmm. So that can really deconstruct some black or white thinking you may have about the world, about yourself. Um, so that's very similar to some mindfulness meditations we might do in recovery dharma, uh, where we're challenging some fixed beliefs that we have about reality, uh, being more of an observer of our thoughts um, rather than uh, jumping inside them and completely identifying with them. And there are some, some skills. Uh, DBT is all about those practical skills that you can put in your toolbox. A lot of them have uh, mindfulness practices that I felt uh, not completely brand new. I had never done any meditations that were so that were as long as the ones in recovery dharma, which are 20 minutes, uh, typically 20 minutes. Uh, but I had done some mindfulness practices through DBT. Um, I remember when I went to rehab when I was 14, the first skill I learned was the 10 candles practice, where you close your eyes, you imagine 10 lit candles in a room. And with each deep breath, you're blowing out one of the candles until the room is dark. So some of these practices uh, can affect you on a very physiological basis. Just learning that deep breathing exercise uh, can physiologically calm you down from a heightened state, from a state of crisis. Um, I would say... There's also a, another practice. Uh, there are a few heart practices in Buddhism. Uh, there are four heart practices, and one of them is called equanimity. Okay. Um, most people haven't heard of that word. I had never heard of that word before I entered uh, Recovery Dharma. Equanimity is basically being a steady ship in a storm where 
things can affect you, but you just adapt to them. They don't completely knock you down. I have a friend who likes to call that super okayness. <laughs> um, I, I called it being a weeble wobble because we will wobble, but they don't fall down. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Having yeah. four kids, I'm very familiar with weebles. Yes. <laughs> and it teaches a lot about uh, one of the phrases I can remember of equanimity is uh, that suffering or happiness uh, does not depend on experience itself, but on your relationship to experience. Mm. So it can really empower you to write a different story about what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the suffering we experience has to do with the story we create around this. Mm -hmm. uh, there's been so many times, I would say so many times in my early days when I was still very prone to crisis and prone to being prone to relapse or near relapse where I would be reacting to something very quickly um, and later on realize I had a completely false story about what that was. Uh, for example, I one time, my roommate had written the word chores on our whiteboard that's on our fridge in all caps letters and just where my mental state was at that time due to all kinds of various factors, my mind went to, she hates me. Mm -hmm. She's so pissed at me because I didn't do my chores today. Uh, she's not gonna wanna be friends with me. She's gonna wanna move out. I'm gonna be alone forever. And then I was crying on the bathroom floor near relapse. Right. And later on, I checked out that story with her after the crisis had passed and it turns out she wasn't angry she just sometimes writes in all caps because it's more legible mm -hmm. <laughs> but i didn't have the ability to check out that story to remove myself to step away from my thoughts and observe them and see is this based in fact is this based in reality um or is this something, is this suffering that I'm creating that I'm inventing for myself? Right, right. So there's this, this kind of important definition here of reactive versus responsive, right? So we have, we have reactions and, and oftentimes they are very knee jerk and, and based on what we are perceiving as the reality. And then responsive is just taking a little bit of extra time and going, can we challenge that? Can we, can we make sense of it? Is it, is it a reasonable thing that we're coming to, or could there be other opportunities? And then we're able to respond to it better. Um, and it sounds like in, in that way, um, recovery Dharma actually isn't that different from a lot of um, more traditional therapies, cognitive behavioral therapies, things like that. So that does make me wonder what has been your experience with how recovery dharma participants interact with like other programs of recovery how how well does it kind of gel in if somebody were to want to experiment with multiple programs of recovery does it does it what what's your experience with that uh i would say that 
this program, Recovery Dharma, is extremely open to people combining it with other practices. Mm -hmm. We have a full set of practices that I haven't even, I've barely gotten to 10% of it, but uh, we we mention, um, let's see. Even in our meeting script, it says, we understand that this is not the only path to recovery and many may choose to combine these practices with other recovery programs. That's right there in the Recovery Dharma meeting script. Mm -hmm. We are not claiming to be the only truth. Mm -hmm. In fact, that would probably be pretty antithetical to Buddhism to claim to be- To be all-knowing, all, yes, right, right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I know a number of people because our program is a new program. Most people, uh, I, I don't, I don't want to say most, but many, many people got their start, got their start in their sobriety, maybe months or maybe years in the 12 step programs, but felt like they were missing something and then continued their spiritual growth and their sobriety their recovery journey in recovery dharma. Mm -hmm. um, I I actually, I got my start in refuge recovery. Um, that's the first sober support meeting I ever went to. Mm -hmm. um, I should say uh, that self-harm was not the only addiction I, I dealt with. Um, I actually ended up giving like my main crisis point that brought me to finding a, a sober support meeting uh, was the self-harm, which was quite honestly amazing that this program is for addictions of all kinds. Mm -hmm. And even, even a new update in the recovery Dharma text, they mentioned self-harm mm -hmm. as, as a type of addiction that, um, that recovery Dharma uh, is about. Um, so I ended up giving up alcohol as well. I found that that didn't serve me. Um, but I also addiction switched about like a year into my time in refuge recovery. I addiction switched to, uh, like sexual compulsion and that lasted for quite a while. And it, I felt like something was missing from, my time in recovery dharma it had fulfilled me in a lot of ways but this was like an entirely new beast and something I just didn't feel it it just felt like so out of control that I felt like I wanted to go to a place that was more of an affinity group more people who were experiencing the same kind of addiction. So while I started out with the program that was embracing addictions of all kinds, I ended up combining that with Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, I would say very compatible. Um, I don't, Perhaps in that program, I've heard of many meetings in the in the twelve step tradition uh, that tend to be a little bit more hardcore and and claim to be the only way. I've heard of those meetings, but that wasn't my experience in any of the meetings I went to. It just seemed to be uh, they could work together. Like yeah. it, 
one of the steps in the 12 steps is uh, utilizing prayer and meditation. Um, I would say I struggled to, well, something interesting happened for me. I struggled with some aspects of the steps uh, being disempowering, like talking about being powerless and uh, uh, surrendering and things like that, where I came from a program that was more talking about empowerment. Um, but interestingly enough, I was unable to find a sponsor in Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous because that's also a meeting that doesn't have a ton of availability of sponsors. Um, but I found a, a woman in recovery, Dharma, who had a long history in the 12 steps, uh, as well as Codependence Anonymous, who offered to be a temporary sponsor for me, who offered this sort of like Buddhist feminist kind of sponsorship mm -hmm. that was like very interesting, like very alternative spiritual where she could sort of translate some of the things that I was struggling with into terms that were more palatable for me. Sure. I I love what you said kind of at the beginning of this because it wasn't it wasn't that sometimes programs don't work for people. How how you worded it was there may be something missing in somebody's spiritual growth or recovery growth what whatever that ends up looking like. And and so this idea of tandem programs may have nothing to do with the efficacy of one program but rather in a person's journey have they received everything that they were hoping to from one program, maybe not. That doesn't mean that that program was necessarily necessarily even not for them. It may just mean that some sort of companion program to kind of fill in those gaps, to, to make, make it more of a complete picture for a participant. Um, I, I love that the way that that was worded, that, that seemed um, in my experience, very familiar the idea that I, I was in multiple programs and it's not because one quote wasn't enough. It was more based on my beliefs, my values that, that I needed to adapt and adopt a couple of different philosophies or practices to make my journey feel more complete. And, and so I just, I just love that notion that, um, that those tandem programs can exist, um, and, and still be very enriching and fulfilling, maybe just not exactly what somebody needs. And so thank you for that. That, that, was, that was a really powerful statement to me personally. One that I may end up using yeah. quite a bit actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing I like to quote, I just recently, I haven't even finished it yet, but I recently started reading uh, Quit Like a Woman by Holly Whitaker, okay. who uh, started the Tempest Sobriety School, which is, another type of sober support program. Um, there's a section of her book where she talks about throw the kitchen sink at it. If, if what you're doing isn't working, try everything. Right. You don't change the end goal of, of recovery. It's just, you might wanna change the variables a little bit. It's kind of like with the scientific method. You don't throw out the hypothesis 
you just might change the variables in the next experiment. Mm -hmm. And it's worthwhile to try absolutely everything. I have tried just ridiculous things to meet the end goal of mental wellness and recovery. Mm -hmm. I've tried like a, a, a float tank, a laughter yoga. I've tried uh, all kinds of things right? <laughs> um, to, to try to meet the same end goal. And I think it's important to have that tenacity to just keep trying things, keep exploring, because maybe, uh, maybe something got you most of the way there, but maybe you need a little bit something extra. Maybe mm -hmm. acupuncture is your extra thing. Maybe, maybe it's a 12 step or a smarter recovery Dharma meeting. Uh, maybe it's getting an emotional support cat or finding a new hobby or whatever it is. Because we are, and I've said this on, on the podcast, even before, like we are whole people. We are, we are made up of so many different experiences and, and so many different elements that sometimes they do bleed over their uh, relationships can affect your recovery can affect your work can affect and and so sometimes if if we're not sure what to evaluate in our recovery specifically maybe it's worth looking at the other elements so when you're talking about like a companion animal or or something like that um what I found both in my volunteer work as like a facilitator and my work as a peer mentor is that oftentimes it is that whole life balance or that whole life treatment that lets people recognize what it is that, that they've really been struggling with addiction. Um, yes, but also a sense of community or, uh, and a lot of times it can relate to kind of the hierarchy of needs um, but not, not necessarily exclusively. So, so that idea of everything, including the kitchen sink, um, I, I enjoy that because so many times it's not just about what it is that we're dealing with. For me, uh, problem gambling disorder, um, simply not gambling may have not been enough. I, I'm thankful that I was able to envision that pretty early on that that it was um, something of a renovation in a lot of different areas of my life um, that that helped create the success that I'm that I'm able to celebrate today um, okay so our, our, we're kind of running into a into the time crunch so is is there anything else that you want to say anything that was left out anything that you think would be impactful or or um, that might help somebody. The, the nature of this podcast is to try to present information to people who may be curious about different programs. Um, so if somebody's like, oh, Recovery Dharma, what's, what's that? Is there anything else that you specifically want to tell that person that's listening and interested and wants to, wants to know? Yeah, I would say uh, there's, there's lots more to discuss it and learn um, and explore about this program. Uh, there are things you can look up 
online to familiarize yourself. Some people read the whole book before they even come into a meeting. You definitely don't have to do that, uh -huh. uh, but you can. Mm -hmm. Some people even hop on uh, the local Facebook group and say, hey, can I have uh, can I have coffee with someone before this meeting, uh, before I attend to like talk about it and soothe my nerves about it. Mm -hmm. Some people get very nervous about like Buddhism and meditation and that kind of thing. Um, I would say, uh, it's very okay to be a newcomer. We welcome everyone. We try to explain everything as the meeting goes on. Just, just explore it, you know, just see if it's for you. Um, when I first started coming, well, first of all, I was, uh, completely scared shitless of sitting alone with my thoughts for 20 minutes. <laughs> um, of course, almost all the time it's guided meditations and I managed to survive it. And then it became less and less and less scary mm -hmm. um, and actually became a wonderful uh, retreat or refuge um, away from uh, constant distraction. It's it's a skill that we uh, that we practice, that we exercise, that we get better and better at. And you have to start somewhere. Right. Um, I was always scared of the people too. I was running out of the meetings before anyone could stop to talk to me. And then it took some people in the meetings, uh, like stopping me as I was getting my shoes back on and, and reaching out to me uh, to find that community that I was, I didn't even know I was desperately lacking. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest thing, uh, finding what we call a sangha. That's our word for community mm -hmm. of people who are going through similar struggles and are striving for similar things. That's the biggest thing I can recommend for anyone striving for recovery is any strong community. And you can find that in this program. You can find that in other programs, but, uh, Find a program that emphasizes community as one of the biggest healing agents because it is. Love that. Hannah, thank you so much for not only taking time, but for being so willing to be open and, and vulnerable. Um, and I, I really look forward to, to getting to know you a little bit better and, and exploring the program a little bit more. So um, thank you for this, this dive into that and introducing it to what I imagine will be at least quite a few new faces. So um, I'm, I'm happy that you were able to be here today. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for having me and for uh, spreading awareness of all these different programs. You're very welcome. It's, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Hannah. Uh, you probably noticed that there was quite the gap between the season opener and this episode. We are retooling a little bit, and I was just a little late to getting to those uh, to those adjustments. I think that the idea of taking kind of a season break is going to lead to a better quality of material. As always, this uh, podcast is brought to you by Voices of Problem Gambling Recovery. You can visit their website at vpgr.net, newly renovated. So there's a lot of information to be had there. Make sure that you go check that out. And as always, thanks for joining us here on Voices, the podcast.